recorded live. <laughs> there you are, recorded live, no less. <laughs> it's a beautiful thing, though, when you need to take notes. It's it's pretty darn terrific. Yeah. You know, me now, I I feel like Pavlov's dog to like. Yeah, but now she's like, and hello everyone, my name is Jason Franklin, and welcome to this month's Bold Conversation. That's yes. the only time I used to use that system. Yes. <laughs> oh, I, I just went to a, a uh, presentation of Philosophy Talk. Um, it was very funny because, of course, we were recording it for the show, and it would sort of alternate between the mode of like actually being present in the room and then shifting to being present for the radio. Which is very mm-hmm. Well, and I think we'll probably just take turns asking you questions and um, know that this is uh, what we do with our bold conversations. Uh, That, of course, is on the website, and you're welcome to post it, and I sent it to uh, a link to Rebecca to post as well. And then um, as far as this, if you want this tape, you're welcome to have it, but it'll just be hidden in the TalkShoe archives. Um, I'll take notes from there. And um, so we only have about 800 to what, 1,000 words to capture the essence of you and your passion. So we want to make sure and highlight the things that are most important to you. So if there's anything you think of even, you know, next week or to, well, it takes me a while to draft these, be sure and let us know, oh, I really want to link to such and such because it's it's really critical to in my thought right now, so feel free. And then we'll draft it. I'll draft it. Jason will take a look with his perspective, and then we'll send it to you, and then nothing ever gets published until you've had the chance to get it just the way you want. Some people change a word or two, and some people rewrite the whole thing. (laughs) We we are fine. There's no pressure. It goes up when you're ready. When you give it the thumbs up, then, then it gets posted, and then we'll promote it on Facebook, and then we'll send it over to Rebecca and, and those folks and and such. But just know that nothing goes without your approval. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. So um, we have just basic background questions, but, you know, we don't want to fill too much of this precious space without when you've developed so much uh, heart and soul into the racial issues that you addressed. But... Uh, would you be willing to share a little bit about yourself, Jason? And I, I'll take turns asking questions and um, just. A oh yeah, bit. of course, of course. And I'm I'm actually very open, and I attempt to be very transparent about all of this, um, all of the work that we do. And um, just so you you know, in the conversation, you can feel comfortable. I'm not going to be easily offended. Um, so yeah. So the only thing, the only thing I don't do, actually, I'll just. To be really clear, the only thing I really try not to do is to actually publish the exact dollar amount that of work I'm doing because I don't want to save my children the having to have that information publicly available. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, well, somebody has enough. to be a little more. Yeah, so otherwise, we I'm actually very open. We like to work, I think Jason probably explained to you, we like to work in percentages. So uh, <laughs> our threshold is you know, to be a bold giver with the definition just because we had to set it somewhere is 20% of income or net assets. So mm-hmm. unless your kids are sitting down with a calculator and we right. <laughs> again, 
Um, anything that's personal and you don't want to share, oftentimes people share things with us and say, mm, but uh, I don't want you to quote me on that story on the. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. We would yeah. Yep. So just sort of a little bit about your journey and, and how you ended up doing the work that you're doing would be terrifically helpful. Yeah. So, um, all right. So I So I usually start my journey anchor my journey and having been born in San Francisco in um, in the mid-60s uh, to um, a mother who is from uh, Texas and a white family in Texas and a father from the Philippines and they met in the Peace Corps and because of uh, that you know the time um, you know my family actually really struggled and even though my mother had come from a family with, with quite a bit of privilege, um, and my father also came from a family with quite a bit of privilege, um, sort of the combined uh, reality of women's access to the workplace, which meant my mother wasn't able to get, um, you know, as a teacher, <laughs> and my father, despite having been a lawyer um, from the Philippines, really was not able to get... Um, really good, stable work here in the Bay Area. And um, so those are sort of the conditions that I grew up with. And it was very confusing, um, you know, to sort of recognize that I had a lot of class privilege, but no economic privilege at all. But, you know, as a re- but, you know one of the things, of course, that that meant, though, was that, you know, I did have access to a you know, very high-quality college education um, and prepared to, to sort of move in those circles. Um, and so then jumping a whole bunch of years, then when I was in my mid-30s, um, my husband and I inherited um, a lot of money from um, my, because of some work that my father-in-law and brother-in-law had done. And um, we both looked at this and like, what are we going to do with this? <laughs> there are no more excuses anymore, no more thinking we have to sort of pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. Um, but there's a real opportunity here. And so, and that was right around the time that I think maybe Bush had been elected for the first time and we were shocked. <laughs> so um, we started getting involved in um, philanthropy because it was like we don't, we don't need these kinds of resources more than we, you know, think we need or want. Um, so, through, I'd say in my naivete, um, joined the Democracy Alliance because I thought the idea of having building an infrastructure for a progressive movement sounded like it made a lot of sense. Um, and in uh, sort of in that process. Um, Actually, at the meeting, it was a meeting at the Tides Foundation. Actually, um, John Powell had spoken, and that's also where I heard about the Democracy Alliance. And I was blown away when I met John Powell. But of course, at that point, I did not feel um, entitled to actually even go really talk to him. <laughs> so when I then went to a Democracy Alliance meeting, and he was there, um, I sat next to him, and he started to talk to me. And I really do feel like he helped explain. Um, what I had always experienced as an individual experience, um, he explained it in in um, structural terms, which um, is really really important. 
Um, so that's kind of how I really started, you know. And then, of course, you walk into a place like Democracy Alliance or any philanthropic group, and uh, the racial division of wealth in this country is instantly palpable. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that, that sort of uh, underscored my commitment, the beginnings of my commitment. Yeah, I, uh, tell me a little bit more about John Powell and the content. I, I'm not clear on how that, what he was explaining. Oh, okay. So he, um, you know, his area, his area of specialty is uh, racial inequity, and so he he just started explaining, for example. Um, concepts like redlining, you know, that, that there had been in the mid-30s different um, neighborhoods that were had access to um, home loans or didn't have access to um, home loans that were um, guaranteed by the federal government um, and, and about how that divided cities. You know, and when he started explaining that, I started saying, oh, that's why I lived in the neighborhood that I lived in in San Francisco growing up because I lived in a neighborhood that was in between two neighborhoods, you know, a, a wealthier neighborhood and a much poorer neighborhood, but it was right on the edge. Um, and so I, you know, I started being able to recognize, like, that kind of a context to, to, to see, you know, that really what was happening was that, you know, my parents, because they were an interracial couple, were not welcome to live everywhere. Um, they were trying to figure out how to um, locate themselves in what they perceived to be a you know safe or good neighborhood. Um, so you just start starting to see those things, or to start asking questions about why my father had such a hard time staying employed, you know, mm-hmm. and and I hadn't even thought to ask that kind of a question to my mother <laughs> before, and um, you know, and I you know then found out well. You know, so here's this um, lawyer from a, a, a privileged family in the Philippines, and he finally is able to find a job at um, an insurance company that was run by a friend of my grandmother's. Um, where, in the hallways, he would hear people talking about um, the Filipino monkey. You know, and he was basically being treated as an office, and he was hired as an office boy. You know, <laughs> and, you know, and I mean. You know, so of course he was, he was very angry and frustrated, right? And so you start saying, well, of course my mom and him fought all the time, and my mother didn't understand any of this because she had grown up in a white community with also the white television never thinking about it, right? And so, of course, their marriage was full of tension. Wow. So I started understanding how, um, I, you know, you experience it as a child very personally, but then you actually start to realize how all, there are all of these external forces um, that were actually shaping those outcomes. Okay. So, you know, it's personal how everybody handles all of that and whether they weather it or don't weather it. But, you you, you know, it, it actually gave me some space for um, actually forgiving my parents for a lot of stuff that I had actually held them responsible for. Wow. Yeah. And I've got like 80 questions, so I'm trying to think which ones. <laughs> Because <laughs> um, I'm, I'm like, I realize that we've been in so many different meetings at different moments over the years, but I'm ne- I don't think we've ever sat and talked about all of this stuff. Um, you know, so 
maybe jump forward to that moment where you know the larger financial resources came into your life and yeah. was it an instant did you and your husband know like right in that you know those first few days or first few weeks like oh we're gonna you know giving is going to be a big part of what we do with these resources or was it a kind of move into that or, yeah that's often something we get asked about it's like yeah. How did you know what to do? And I'm, I'm like, <laughs> you know, how did you know what to do? How did you chart those so first true. steps? Yeah, that's such a good question. Um, so um, I guess one of the pieces of the story I think actually is probably really important. My husband was also in the Peace Corps. So he was sort of inherently kind of someone who wanted to do good in the world as well, but we had both gone into these like professional tracks, you know, and we're sort of doing the correct professional thing. So had not been, had not been organized to do social change. So mm-hmm. we actually, it was very funny when we first um, uh, found out that we were going to get all this money because, you know, you're hanging out with your friends, you've been living your very middle-class life, and your friends are always like, God, if I had a million dollars, you know, I'd do blah, 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 right? Suddenly, that question has so much more meaning to you. You're like, what would you do? <laughs> what the hell yeah. would you do, right? And, of course, you can't ask them <laughs> what they would really do because you certainly don't want to let on that you actually now might be able to do one of those, right? And so um, it was actually a very, very funny um, period for us, right? Because it was like this big, heavy secret. Like, what do we do? Who do we talk to about this? We're doing very confused. Um, but we knew right away that uh, when we found out that we wanted to allocate um, a big chunk of this to give away because we knew we did not need that kind of money. We um, were under the the impression that we were going to keep doing what we were doing anyways, which, of course, did not, did not of course, end up to be the reality at all. Um, but that was kind of where we were at that moment. Um, you know, and so we actually started going to resources like Inspired Philanthropy, and um, you guys probably know the title of the book better than I do. Uh, Robin Hood was right, I think. Yeah. Um, we read those books, and then we also read, um, uh, there's a little book like the In- Inheritor's uh, Resource or something, and it tells all these stories about what happens to kids of inheritors. Oh, yeah. <laughs> So, um, so sort of that that um, set of readings. Um, so I, the Inspired Philanthropy book was just a huge resource, um, and uh, and it, it really resonated with us. This, this sort of the whole notion of you know giving away a lot more than five percent, um, and you know the, the idea that oh that you actually use your money to make social change was really exciting to us. Um, and so we immediately started trying to think about, well, how might we do that? Um, and so the, uh, you know, the inheritor's handbook or whatever that was, you know, made us also really realize that it was important to us to do something uh, besides just living the high life um, because we didn't want to do that to our children. <laughs> um, and I think that, you know, at the time, given everything that was going on politically, we actually really quickly um, started feeling like, you know, what we could, the best thing we could leave our children would be a better world where there wasn't so much inequity and there wasn't so much suffering that was so unnecessary. Um, so that's kind of 
that's, so we got to that place pretty quickly, you know. And what was the, the once you were there, like, is there anything you would, you know, your donor self today would tell you your past self? Yes. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, um, so, you know, so of course, what we did at the beginning is we, um, it was complicated. We had to get the money into a donor advised fund because, of course, you didn't know where to give money to. And so um, we went with the organization that my brother in law had chosen, you know, which is adequate. Um, but, you know, that fund's uh, issue areas were not ones that we were uh, drawn to. Um, and so the first thing that I did actually was start doing some research on donor advised funds to find one that um, I felt like I shared politics with and shared a worldview with so that um, even if I didn't know what to do with the minimum I had to you know, advise um, in a year that I could just choose one of the initiatives and have some confidence that it was going to a good place. Um, without having to do a lot of research that I wasn't ready or equipped to do at that point. Um, so that's what I did. And the thing that was really good about that was that then I was able to, um, you know, then we were actually then had access to a whole bunch of resources um, and meeting people, frankly, you know, who are thinking about these things um, and finding out that um, there are conferences that are <laughs> focused on these these issues. And so mm -hmm. through that, um, that was back when, um, right before, let's see, I think we actually did our donor advice on a type two years before the first Momentum Conference. And I was very excited because all the other conferences were too far away from home, given that I had young children at home. So I was able to go to this Momentum Conference, and there I started meeting um, activists and started meeting other donors and you know a group of people who are thinking about these issues um, and I actually attended my first um, resource generation thing and that was a big deal for me because we were like we really wanted to be a part of resource generation but we were just too just barely too old <laughs> but they let me go to a race training that they had before the conference and I went and that of course was really important um, on my journey as well. <laughs> and when, when was that? Huh? When, when? was that? Uh, let's see. I don't even know the other. Let's see. Two. It must have been maybe 2004, I'm guessing. Oh. Somewhere in that range. Somewhere in that time frame. So what happened next? So now you're inspired. You're meeting all these great, like-minded people. Yeah. And so, you had a clear vision, and you knew right where to go next, right? <laughs> no. So, so, so the Momentum Conference did clear up, a, really helped uh, a lot. Um, so I, um, so let's see. There I went to a session that, um, I think actually that Deepak Bhargava and John Powell were there. One more person, and I can't remember the third person. Maybe, maybe, well, I think I do remember who it was, but there was no follow-up. And um, John was, 
I, I don't remember exactly what John was talking about. I mean, I could take a stab at guessing what he was talking about. <laughs> I don't remember what he was talking about specifically. Um, you know, obviously talking about structural inequity, and you know, so that was that was like made a lot of sense to me. It was really interesting. Um, and I actually remember that time really wanting to, to talk to him, but I just didn't even know what to ask. So I didn't. Um, and then later in that day, Ann Bartley did a presentation about the Democracy Alliance. And since I didn't know anybody, I went up to the follow-up presentation. And uh, actually, I guess Rob Stein did the presentation. Then I went up and saw, uh, met Ann Bartley. And I thought, well, she's a nice woman doing this. Maybe I can, you know, she can do it. Maybe I can join this too. Maybe that's not completely crazy. And my advisors at Tide says, yeah, you should do that. I mean, you know, now I look back at that and I think they were crazy for advising me to do that. Um, but it was, um, I mean, it was just, you know, a you know, much more sophisticated group, way out of my league financially. But it was a really, really great experience, um, even though stressful for my husband and I, because we learned a huge amount. And I actually think about it as a, like an additional year of graduate school, you know, <laughs> to mm-hmm. um, just learn about all the stuff that was happening. And at the second conference, um, I, I found out afterwards that a good friend had lobbied really hard to get John Powell into the conference. So he was one of the people there. And, you know, honestly, I paid so much money to join that, to be at that meeting. <laughs> and I, when I saw John was sitting at lunch by himself, um, no, no one's sitting there. I'm like, well, hell, I'm going to go sit there. <laughs> so I introduced mm-hmm. myself, and, and we started talking. And then he, um, and I guess probably right around the same time, people started uh, to organize within the network because it was that second meeting, um, they actually had some people of color doing advising. Um, but, you know, the first meeting, it had, I think it had been, almost all white. I mean, it was just kind of stunning. And, you know, growing up in the Bay Area, I had a very different idea of what progressive, who that included, Um, which, of of course, is who it includes. (laughs) But they weren't in the room. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So um, so it was there that I actually started organizing. And, um, you know, part of that organizing effort was actually to try to get some um, groups into the portfolio the organization was funding, the network was funding, so that there would be some constant um, input from at least a few people of color in the, in the um, network. And, you know, and since we were doing that organizing, um, a lot of people um, uh, started investing really a lot of time in trying to get me up to speed because I didn't know about race, I didn't know about organizing, <laughs> I didn't know about public speaking, none of that. Um, and, uh, you know, there was a whole crew of people who really um, helped support me in being able to do that. Um, and so that's, you know, and it's, it's actually their investment that actually keeps me doing it because I actually find it really exhausting. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, I know it's important work to do. So. And what do you find... I actually love that last point you say you keep doing it even though you find it really exhausting. Can you? <laughs> why do I find I, it exhausting? Yeah, why do you find it exhausting and yet you keep doing it? I'd love to hear a little more. <laughs> well, let's see. I, um, 
Well, okay, I find it I find it exhausting um, because the blinders that we are taught um, to have about um, race in general are really strong, and there's a lot of um, people don't want to see it. People want to keep it at the individual level, so it's just you know between me and you. Not they don't want to actually recognize how it plays out structurally so that, um, you know, even as we speak, all three of us on this call, you know, are, are participating in the system because we are in the system. And we can challenge it, but we are in it, right? And sure. people don't want to, um, don't want to see it, you know, and we're taught well not to see it. And it's hard for people to see. So it's, I find that to be exhausting. Um, and also it's exhausting being a woman of color in um, places that are really mostly all white, <laughs> you know? And it's, the more I do the work, the harder that part gets, right? <laughs> um, so, yeah, you know, because stuff happens, you know, at the personal level, but it's just hard to take sometimes. Um, that I probably don't want published. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> Um, so I keep um, doing the work um, because I, um, well, you know, I think I keep doing the work on some level because I, A, there are not many people who are, um, have access to these circles at all. Um, so I feel like that I should do that. I feel like I, um, have some skills around this that that were, um, you know, the kind of a result of my, you know, the, my growing up in the world, you know, because I, you know, on the one hand, hand have a leg in the experience of some people of color, you know, and it's not as extreme as some experiences, but there's, I have a, a foot in it. And then I also have a foot in, the um, the other world, you know. I mean, my mother was supposed to be a debutante and rebelled, and so didn't become one, right? You know, so I have, you know, and I went to some elite private schools um, when I was very young. So I'm, you know, culturally more or less comfortable in a lot of those spaces. So, um, you know, so being able to figure out how to talk to people is is not um, impossible for me. Um, and and I know that the field really, really needs resources. So the field, you know, communities of color that are organizing um, for change need resources, and they're under-resourced. And part of the part of the reason they're under-resourced is that because our relationships are so racially segregated that um, the people don't even know about the groups that are on the ground unless they've made some effort to find out. Um, like. Have there been any moments on the flip side where you feel like, you know, and, you know, oh, this is why it's worth it, or this, I was able to make this mm. or yeah. be this voice in a space? Yeah. Um, well, you know, so the, the reason that is ultimately most, well, the way in which is most rewarding for me is that, um, I 
doing, I now have like a, I don't, know, I don't exactly know how to, how to put this. I, I guess I'd say that through this work, I feel like I have developed um, relationships with people or connections with people that are much deeper and much more meaningful to me than anything I've done previously. Um, I mean, just sort of in that whole concept of linked fate. I mean, it's, uh, you know, and, and really being able to, um, <laughs> I don't need to talk about this because actually it's so emotional for me. Um, sort of moving from that place of doing this because you want to help others to being in a place where you're doing this work because I am the other. Not, and not saying I'm the other because I'm a person of color, but, you know, it's like I see you and I see like you are me. Like it's not somebody else's child. That's my child because the child is the community's child and we should all invest in everybody. Yeah. Um, so, and that's really meaningful. Thank you. Yeah. Good. You know, and then you do see money moving, and you do see the light bulbs going off for people. You you can you know you can tell when you're doing this work that like when people finally get it, they do uh-huh. get it, and once you get it, you can't go back. <laughs> Because it really is so wonderful to get it. Because then you actually the barriers, like once you see the way, the way in which all these barriers are put up for us to be divided, um, once you can start to see them, I mean it's not that they're not there, but then you can start trying to figure out how do you break them down, and that's really rewarding, right? Because then you're just in a different relationship with um, everybody around you. And then people you just meet on the street because you learn to see people that you actually had been trained to not see. Any, um, can you think of any specific example that comes to mind of someone you've just just beamed with pride at the, the transformation? Sorry, what was the second half of the question? Is, is there anyone that, any individual or any story, not naming names, of course, but yeah. that just the the transformation was so apparent. Uh, mm. mm-hmm. and any any specifics? Those are always fun. Yeah. You're you're like getting me into this like really emotional place. Um. Ah. So I mean, this is gonna be a hard. I don't know exactly how to even tell the story because it's like so in my head. But I will try because I think it's actually a really good story. So, um, you know, I think that like it's so hard to see over over racial divisions, right, that we like put people into racial categories, right? And we and the minute we do that, we actually put them in, you know, it's like my group, not my group kind of thing, right? So I have a friend who um, is African-American, and um, 
So when I, the first time I went to her house and her mom was living with her, I saw that her mom was white. And um, this was really early in our, our uh, friendship. And turns out her mom was from Texas, just like my mom, who's white. <laughs> and, you know, it's like you search, you're like, oh, she has a white mom too. And her father was African-American. And, and it actually turned out that her father passed away just about the same time that my father moves back to the Philippines. You know, so in a sense, we both lost our fathers right around the same time in middle school. And, you know, and that's such a big event in the kid's life. I just, like, I felt bonded to her, right, because it's just a yeah. huge thing in your life. And, but I, you know, I also knew, like, I would never have walked out the street and thought that she in a sense, was a sister, right? Because um, because of the our racial reality, right? But, you know, so then, but because of that whole interaction, and this is all because of, you know, I met her because I was doing work on this stuff, right? And so I felt a really strong connection there. You know, and then over, t- over time, then, you know, then we get start sharing stories about our childhoods and what it meant, you know, and, you know, that's when I found out, like, when she was four years old, she was lost, because her, her, her dad and her brother were playing a joke on her, and she got lost, and couldn't find them, because, um, I don't remember all the exact stories, but she was four years old, and she went up to a, a white woman asking for help to say, I can't find my dad. And the white woman wouldn't talk to her. Oh. She was afraid of her, right? And, you know, and she didn't couldn't get help until an African-American woman showed up to help her. And that's just, like, so appalling to me. Yeah. And it's, it's, like, it's hard to even hold. And that's the, that's the difference between being brown and being black. <laughs> right there. And it's just, you know, but, you know, through this work, being able to be connected to realize, though, that, you know, it was a decision about how far across that racial divide our mothers chose to marry, you know? Her family was disinherited. My mother, my my mother's family disapproved, but they did not disinherit. <laughs> they, could, they controlled the money instead. <laughs> um, so, yeah, but the work has... has has enabled me to sort of start to see that and really feel it and actually feel a lot less separation, even while I acknowledge that my experience was different, you know, the experiences are different, um, but it's not for any real good reason, I guess. Mm-hmm. So if I could work that you're doing now, you're, it sounds like you're spread pretty thinly when I read your bio. <laughs> I <laughs> am. <laughs> and how, how many children do you have, Connie? Two. Two kids. How old are they now? Um, 12 and 15. Oh, so how does the conversation, what's the conversation look like at your dinner table? If, do you have time for dinner together? We always eat dinner together. Um <laughs> 
Oh, well, our kids are all over uh, social movements, race. They they report back about what's really going on in their classrooms and why kids are getting in trouble. And, yeah, they're like my spy. <laughs> nice. <laughs> it's good, you know, and then it's the usual. Um, it's time to practice. I don't want to practice. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, we you know, we actually have a lot of conversations about um, privilege, about leadership. I had one really moving conversation, um, you know, with my son about whether or not he could lead. I don't know if, if I've told you that story before about whether he could be a leader because he looked white, and um, you know, and I told him, of course, he could lead. We need you to lead. It's just a question of you know, who are you leading with? What are you leading for? And if you know when it's time to follow, <laughs> and then. Um, yeah, and then, you know, helping the kids navigate their own experience and, you know, how how they can authentically assert who they are and also, uh, you know, recognize when they need to be thoughtful. You know, so like my son, for example, right now is really trying to figure out how to um, sort of both fit in but not conform to um, sort of the cultural norm of white male dominance. Yeah. Interesting conversation. And my daughter, too. You know, my daughter does the the girl version of that. You know, like, how do I belong but not conform to, you know, a helpless female model (laughs) that's out there? So So you're able to weave the things that you do in your day job into your home life. Yes. Yeah. They, they all merge. And, you know, speaking of that, how do you... I get, I get so many questions from people who are trying to figure out how... And you have mentioned it yourself, like, not wanting to say the numbers because you're not wanting that to be part of what your kids are grappling with at this point in yep. their life. But you also... I mean, both you and Jonathan are so active. Um mm-hmm. On the CCC board now, right? Or is he chairing it? He's chair there, yeah. Chair. I mean, you're both out there in such prominent leadership roles in different places. And, you know, how do you how do you talk about the work that you do with your kids? And you know, your work or your philanthropy or both. You know, mm-hmm. How does that come up and how do they connect with it? Mm. Um. Wow. We're taking, we're taking you to all these deep places. <laughs> we, we talk about it all the time. I mean, you know, honestly, our kids, um, they get weary of it, you know, <laughs> 24-7, you know. So, um, but, you know, of course, they also see this stuff around, you know, because we talk about it a lot, they see it, and so it's not as if they're um, immune. You know, our kids are very, it's very... Um, confusing for them because um, we we do live in a large house for the area um, and it's not like crazy huge but it's big enough that they feel uh, very self-conscious you know part of that is just middle school high school you know you're, you self, you're self-conscious whether you live in a small house you know mm-hmm. or a large house and uh, having grown up on the other end of the spectrum you know you're, you're always there's always something something wrong with how you're situated um, but um, 
talk about it a lot, and you know, I do. You know, the kids, <laughs> the kids are old enough now; they're trying to sort of figure out how much we're giving away and all, <laughs> all that, you know. Um, and I haven't told them actual amounts, but you know, I definitely tell them we're giving away a lot, and um, because we we feel like um, that it's, you know, I, I like I try to make the point, for example, that. I mean, sometimes my son will say, well, why don't you just give it all away? You know, which is, is a legitimate strategy to just give it all away. Um, but I, I can say that um, I think I'm getting better at giving it away. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, the first thing that we ever gave money to, I can't even fathom giving money to that anymore. <laughs> it's just like, what was I thinking, you know? <laughs> kind of thing, yeah. um, and uh, you know, and so I feel like we're uh, doing better things with our money. We're doing a better job redistributing. Um, so you know, I think it's it's like everything. You know, you get better with practice. So that's kind of where I'm at on this. Um, uh, trying to think what other. I, I can't think of a whole bunch of other stuff. Um, we do talk about it all the time. So, if there are other specific things, maybe I, you can tell me. Well, yeah. maybe just—I was wondering, you know, how much of how much of how do you do your giving? Because both you and Jonathan are so Jonathan or John? Jonathan. Jonathan. Okay, that's what I thought. Um, I mean, it's been interesting as we've shared people's stories over the years. Some people, it's really one person's activity is the giving. Mm -hmm. Other couples or families, each person does their own. But my sense Mm -hmm. is that, I mean, you both are in in really active and very similar spaces. Do you, how do you design or manage your giving together or individually or how? Mm -hmm. Um, So, let's see. We we very much um, approach everything alike from a sort of like a sharing intertwined kind of way. Um, so basically, our portfolio is somewhat um, divided. Like so, there are pieces that he takes the lead on, and there are pieces that I take the lead on. Um, but we discuss everything. So it's like you know there, are, like for example the. Um, we do a, or have done a small piece of work on like publicly financed campaign or you know, some, that kind of space. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he's sort of the contact person for that. Um, he clearly is the contact person for the CCC. Mm-hmm. I really do. You know. um, and then I sort of manage the other piece. I'd, I'd say you know, I probably, I'm more involved with probably the larger, like if you're assigning dollar percentages, I'm involved with the the day-to-day of more of the dollars. Um, but basically, you know, we, um, I meet a ton of people. Um, and so, um, 
the fun, it's kind of harder to talk about, like articulate what it is to do today. Um, you know, I meet a lot of people. I, I'm the one who's been involved with the um, donor organizing component, and so I n- know many, many more donors. Jonathan had no stomach for it, um, so he quickly said, <laughs> hey, I'm out of here. <laughs> um, so, so, you know, I sort of know that piece of it. And, you know, because of that, I'm more visible as a donor, so I'm also meeting more people on the ground. I am much more involved in introducing people to, um, you know, making connections between people. Um, uh, Something I never thought I'd be good at, but when it's not for me, I actually enjoy it. Um, So, uh, and then we basically meet early in January. Jonathan and I, like, we just put some time aside um, to discuss it. And I, I usually leading into that toward the end of the year, I start kind of looking at what we're going to do, like, you know, how we're going to allocate it. Put, I have a little spreadsheet that I use, and um, and we sit down and discuss it. Um, we don't have a lot of turnover in our portfolio because we, we believe in multi-year funding, and so, you know, we're trying to to do that, we are actually moving more and more towards um, intermediary funders um, yeah. as a strategy. Um, yeah, so that's kind of how we do that, you know. And we talk about it all year long, you know, but then kind of pull it together and then um, convey that information to our, you know, and recommend a whole bunch of grants. Hopefully, they don't say no. Mm-hmm. Do, the kids, do the kids join you in any of the conversations? No, not in our um, bigger piece. You know, we've done things where, our kid, like, okay, so my son, not my daughter, my son is um, has done things like he he wants, he doesn't want any presents for his birthday or for holidays or whatever, so he'll... Um, so then he will actually on his own decide to do some research on organizations. And so, you know, he'll use us as a resource to try to figure out what kinds of organizations might be useful. And we'll discuss, um, you know, the different kind of strategies that they might have. Um, and then he'll, he'll develop something and then tell friends and family that rather than give me something, make a donation on my part, you know, for me, <laughs> on my behalf. Or, um, you know, and you know, give it to them instead of me. Um, but we have not. Yeah, we haven't done all that. You know, so the other thing is that, you know, our our working plan right now is actually to um, pretty much spend down. You know, so we, we, we have, you know, we thought that we would, that our plan right now is to leave for our children um, and try, we're trying to figure out how we leave them enough that they have the flexibility to do whatever work it is that they love to do, um, but and not have to get paid a huge amount for it, right, in order to be able to do that. So they'd be able to afford their housing wherever yeah. they want to live. Um, but that they, our expectation is that they will have to work for a living. <laughs> so that, that's kind of where we're trying to leave them. So we'll see if we can can do that. <laughs> So, but yeah, I mean, you know, it's interesting. I mean, I think they're not quite old enough to actually want to be involved in it. 
Yeah. It's yeah. actually one of them actually said to us, we'd like to be involved, you know. Um, mm. I don't think that we would say no, you know, because yeah. that would be totally out of our character, you know. But but I think actually, honestly, right now, I think it would make, feel, make them feel pretty uncomfortable if they knew. <laughs> I mean, in some ways it would be a relief, in other ways it would make them feel pretty uncomfortable um, yeah. if they sort of knew the order of magnitude in which we're um, giving money away, right? Because, you know, they sort of assess the value of things in terms of how many um, Mac book pros you could buy. <laughs> so, <laughs> I think kind of horrified, honestly, um, <laughs> at the current situation, our, our current financial situation, because it's so unequal. And they, they know, you know, they can see. And so, um, when did your son start uh, doing his his birthday giving plan. That's pretty good. Yeah, when did he start that? Probably about, I guess about two years ago or, or something like that. You know, it's interesting because it actually did correspond roughly with, you know, the age at which one is supposed to have a bar mitzvah, um, which he did not have a formal, you know, big rigmarole or anything. So, um, but it was right around that age. Mm-hmm. That's kind of interesting. Um, and here you mentioned yeah. bar mitzvahs. Is faith <laughs> a big part of your thinking about your giving? Is faith? Is faith? Uh, uh, I'd say no. Um, I would say that Jonathan's parents are actually Israeli. Um, and I would say that um, the growing up with the contradictions and the um, uh, inequity that he saw, you know, relative to Palestinians certainly um, has contributed to uh, Jonathan's radicalization, <laughs> you know, seeing that and it feeling, you know, and hearing things that felt really inconsistent. For him, um, definitely contributes, but uh, beyond that, I don't think so. Not really. Yeah, I just came back from Israel on Sunday. I saw. So. I saw. <laughs> do, you have, do you have family over there? No, I was doing the closing keynote for the Jewish Funders Network, which oh, was great. really fascinating being from a half-Jewish family and not raised Jewish. But our family foundation is the Franklin Weinberg Fund, which is a really clear Jewish name. So that's interesting. Uh, I had a bunch of the the older female donors wanting to introduce me to their daughters back in New York. Um, so I had to you know, politely explain I wanted to meet their sons, but. <laughs> That'd be great to tell somebody. Oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> I actually did tell that to one woman who we were sitting and chatting over lunch. She said, you know, you made, I think you you need to meet my daughter. I was like, oh my, this is so direct. But she had mentioned that she had a gay son earlier in the conversation, oh. not knowing my sexuality. <laughs> um, so I told her this I was like, well, actually, is your son sexual? <laughs> That's great. So, of all, uh, you've you've f- said 
referenced that you're better at your giving. So are there organizations that really you feel really pleased and proud to be associated with uh, that you support that you'd like us to highlight? There's so many. <laughs> um, no, I think I think the groups that I'm um, yeah, I guess the, I think the three groups that I'm most excited about are um, I, I really love Groundswell Fund, and I'm board chair, so I I you know, have to say that. But obviously, I'm board chair because I think what they're trying to do is really really important. I feel like they're um, doing. You know, supporting groups that are really trying to figure out how you do multi-issue organizing, trying to build a, a recognized constituency of women of color, um, and you know, just trying to strengthen the organizing in lots of different ways. Um, and then at the same time, um, moving um, deeper analysis and funding circles. So I think that you know works on multiple levels, and I, I really appreciate that. Um, I am uh, really enthusiastic also about DEMOS, where I'm also on the board. I mean, and I choose my board service, obviously, with groups that I'm very excited about because, you know, board work is also hard work. So. Um, but, you know, I think that, you know, the, the way that they're actually trying to link economy, democracy, and race is really, really important um, because the, um, you know, our, all of our movements are, uh, and the left is pretty divided around these issues, you know, what, and how they focus on them. So I think it's really important to, you know, expand the number of people who understand how much financialization is um, impacting our ability to have a functioning democracy. And it's really important for people who are thinking about, you know, civic engagement more narrowly defined or democracy or, you know, elected officials to start to understand why thinking about, not thinking about race is actually uh, doing our efforts a lot of harm and that they need to think about it better. Um, I'm very excited about that. And, you know, I'm also always, uh, I, you know, John's Institute at the university um, it's just amazing because he does, he's an amazing thinker and, you know, just constantly helps me see connections between things I wouldn't necessarily see the connections between. Um, and for that, I'm really grateful. So it's, it's really important work. And I'm sure I'm forgetting somebody, so well, <laughs> it's horrible. No worries. <laughs> there will be totally totally feel free if you remember something and just want to yeah. shoot it to an email, but yeah. also yeah. So we'll work on a first draft and yeah. Yeah. it might be done right away or you might want to go through a couple of revisions. So. Yeah. Can I throw out one more thing that I did think about? And I mean, I don't know how much you want to include this in the story or not, but I'd like to yeah, give you the content sure. just so that you have it. Um, so my, so I've told you a little bit about how my son engages with the work um, that we're doing, and I, I think it's also really important to talk about how my daughter engages with it. Um, and she's not as intellectually uh, focused about how she does it, but one of the things that so, has been so interesting for me is that 
she has become, she's, she's very aware of being mixed race, but not looking particularly mixed race at this point in her life. And, um, but because she, she's had all these amazing, uh, so she sits around and chats with her, her friends at school about what her parents do. And so then she starts talking to her classmates about how her mom is on the board of the Ella Baker Center and is, you know, really concerned about mass incarceration, you know, that kind of thing. And so then she actually has friends then who come up and start saying, you know, Micah, I really feel like I can talk to you, but, you know, my father was just arrested. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, it's really painful for me or whatever, right? And so she is making these friends with people who have, like, you know, really divergent experiences from her own. But because she is, is aware that this stuff is happening, she's able to be a confidant to her classmates, you know, or, she is in, or you know, she has some kids in her class that have um, a lot of learning differences, and she um, is then able to be um, one of the kids in the class that um, is able to successfully work and support um, one of her classmates who has Down syndrome so that um, that child is able to be successful in the classroom in a way that a lot of other people aren't because I think she feels um, she's really able to recognize the humanity of her classmates. better differences so you know and she's done this across um religious differences you know with friends who she has uh, a handful of friends who are muslim and you know and so it's really interesting to see how she's bringing it in socially which is how she experiences the world um and i think that's really impacted her so it's you know it's, it's you know if we take philanthropy to be um the love of mankind or something like that you know i i think that it really plays out in her uh experience as well, even though she's not, you know, giving away lots of money or anything like that. But, but I think it, it informs I think it's important to include that because it's a different way of engaging, but it is very clear to me that it shapes her experience. It's a really positive way. Yes. So. Makes you proud, doesn't it, Mom? <laughs> well, we'll see. <laughs> they seem to be mostly happy. I don't torment them too much. So how does this master's in architecture fit in with all this? It's so fascinating. For me, it actually does. Um, You know, the the primary thing that you learn to do in architecture is to design something that's not there based on what is around. And um, so... You know, you have your face with a blank sheet of paper, and you know the two buildings next, and you have to put in a new one. And I think in a lot of ways that that's pretty similar to the challenge that we have building a movement because we have inherited the structures that we, that we are living in right now. And as a movement, we have to try to figure out how do we make an intervention that can help redesign that structure but we'll still have a structure because we have to have structure. It's not like we can't have structure. <laughs> the question is, what are the outcomes of structures producing? And you know how you can, you know, like, um, you know, in the process of gentrification, you can sort of see how, um, which I'm not saying is a good thing, but you know, you'll have an empty lot. Somebody will make an intervention, and that intervention will bring all sorts of positive activity to a space. Um, 
you know, people will start to inhabit, you know, sit on the street like in a cafe or, you know, and so there are more people engaging with each other on the street as opposed to a fenced-off lot or um, a building that has a front closed off to the street. And so, you know, it is possible to take the, you know, take the tools that we have and transform them so that they actually create different kinds of outcomes. Because, um, you know, if you're building a building, you're still using, you know, wood or bricks or glass or whatever, right? And whether you're building a walled-off fortress that separates or a um, transparent building that really invites people to connect is really the choice of the design. So I think that that actually really affects how I think about um, the grant making and my work, and it, I think, helps me have some imagination about the possibilities. That's great. I, I would, that's yeah. wonderful. <laughs> and I also have a, a question about the Beyond Philanthropy. Um, I wanted to, to hear you tell us a little about the fiber collages. Oh, yes. Mm. <laughs> I've, I've, seen, I've seen them on your site, oh, but I'd love to know yeah. how you got into them, how you see them as part of the work that you do, what you love about yeah. them. So. Yeah. <laughs> the the um, so the fiber collage is um, it is very connected to the work, and I, I would say that my work um, is really trying to figure out how to connect that more closely with the, the work that I do. Um, but I've always done collage, and early on I was really attracted to um, the uh, quilts that were coming out of different parts of the African-American community. And I had never liked quilting before. It felt very rigid, mm -hmm. what I'd seen. And then I started uh, seeing some of these, actually some of the precursors to the G-Bend quilts that run around. Um, and I just found them to be really exciting and energizing. And so I started um, sort of working in that approach. Um, and then as I um, started working with my kids on uh, it, uh, sewing when they were very, very little, um, I uh, started to adopt some of the techniques that they were coming up with. And I thought, I can do this. <laughs> Um, and so that's kind of how I ended up at this medium of fabric collage. Um, and then, you know, as I was learning about um, race, that can be very depressing and sometimes feel really hopeless, I really started trying to think about um, how, I think growing up in the Bay Area, you know, I, I it, just as seeing all the, uh, the divisions, I also really got to see all the wonderful things about having so many different cultures coming together. And it's actually a really exciting, beautiful thing. And so um, I think I started using my collage as a way to try to think about um, what could be um, and to sort of put the humanity back in our being together. And... So I think one of my really early pieces was um, the flag that I did. Um, you know, or you know, really looking at how um, you know we have a story about our country that's very black and white, 
um, that's very divisive in a certain way and how um, it's actually much, much more complex and, and really much more interesting and trying to say, well, why don't we show all that as opposed to sort of saying it's always been like this, but actually reveal that it's evolving, that it's, it's incomplete, um, that's a collage. Um, so that's really kind of, so it's kind of how I process all of the super intellectual work um, and uh, try to see the possibility. So. It's got to be a great outlet. <laughs> Um, I completely lost my train of thought of what I was going to ask you next. As Jason said, I get all these great ideas, but then I get so caught up in listening, I forget. <laughs> I know that feeling. <laughs> um, anything you're really proud of? I mean, it just it just brings a, a smile to your face. At the end of the day, you share it with your family. You just feel like this is. This is great work. This group really. <laughs> so you're thinking about work out in the big world? Yeah. Or or not? Yeah. In the little world. <laughs> <laughs> I always think one of my weaknesses is I always bring everything back home, and I'm, like, always trying to get everyone to think structurally, but I think very individually myself, but it's because I'm trying to do the <laughs> structural and the individual experience, you know, it's like, how is this my window and stuff? Oh, wow. Um, that's funny. I, you know, that's actually really hard for questions for me because there's so much interesting work happening out there in the world, um, and I, I feel like the, the real challenge is actually making sure everybody knows that it's happening, <laughs> you know? Um, oh, my goodness. Well, ponder that. I can't, but, um, yeah. How can we help? Uh, when you say the real challenge is helping people know what's happening, that's that's what we want to do here. So yeah. any, anything you can do to help us help inform people. I mean, you know, well, you know, I mean, one of the things that I'm actually right now feeling personally very jazzed about is that I think there's a lot of interest right now in understanding race. I think people are actually starting to see how, I feel like the Black Lives Matter piece has really helped lift that up. Um, I think the fact that we're on the, you know, feel, is a lot of us feel that we're on the brink of, um, you know, point of no return around the environment and, you know, people even domestically are starting to see just, you know, how the direction that, you know, the way our economy is being restructured is really not going to work for people um, or the planet um, or I should say our ability to live and inhabit on the planet. The planet will probably out-survive all of us. Um, you know, but the, the people are starting to see how these processes of, um, creating a whole groups of people that are, are denied um, participation um, politically, economically, socially, um, and just to, to, to reach their full potential um, is actually hurting all of our um, issues. So I think, I think that's um, pretty exciting, exciting, you know, and, and even within philanthropy, um, 
there has been increased um, outreach, you know, to try to figure out how to understand these things better. That's, that's writ large, very exciting. Um, so I think there's also all these little micro things that are happening on the ground that are very exciting. Um, but, yeah. Anyways. I'll think about that one more. Some more and see if I can send something to you. If, if something comes up, please do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Are you hopeful? <sighs> it's a day to day. Are you doing day to day? Yeah. Um, today I'm hopeful. <laughs> okay, we'll we'll go with that. <laughs> <laughs> And and you can read this every day, so every day you can hold on to that. You know, I'm actually having a really positive experience right now. We have um, uh, an activist um, that is being hosted by the Urgent Action Fund um, that's staying with us. And uh, it's really fun to have to be in relationship with somebody who's working, you know, another part of the world, um, engaged in this larger struggle, you know, and it's it's, mm-hmm. it's very affirming to know that there are, there are people like us all over the world <laughs> trying to make change and trying to make sure that the structure we end up with is one that works for us. Um, and, it's, and that's encouraging, right? Yeah. Yeah, it is. Uh, well, I want to be respectful of your time as well. Um, I was just wondering, you know, one of the things, well, both a, an offer and a question. Um, mm-hmm. So one of the things that we really hope as part of sharing people's stories is it's also a way to support the work that you're doing and the causes that you love. So mm-hmm. um, kind of ongoing, if there are projects you're involved with, groups you're involved with, you're trying to reach out and let other people know about, mm-hmm. we have said as our kind of filter, we get people asking all the time, oh, can you send this to the donors you work with? Can you put this on your list? And one of the ways we make a filter is saying when it's engaging one of our bold givers to say that, you know, bold giver Connie Heller is involved in X. Uh-huh. Say yes. And if it's random person, we say no. So as things come up in the future, um, mm-hmm. know that we are delighted to help and kind of put the things that you're working on and funding and engaged in out into the broader world with that frame. Mm-hmm. Um, on that note, I did, when I was looking at your bio, I did post uh, the Color of Wealth Summit coming up, so I posted that on our website, oh. so okay. on our Facebook anyway. Oh. So, you know, I actually, so I know so little about Boulder Giving, that um, <laughs> it would be actually good for you guys to educate me a little bit about um, what you do and stuff like that. You know, and I just, um, yeah, I guess my early contact with, uh, well, anyways, yeah. I don't really know much about you guys. I see things periodically, but not too much. And you have a list service, it sounds like. I didn't know about it. And blah, blah, blah. Well, thanks for talking to us and not knowing who we were. <laughs> We're a subversive conservative group trying to move. <laughs> well, see, I know that's not too gay then, so. So I'll give you the, the elevator speech about yeah. what we're getting. I mean, yeah. we were founded um, 
back in 2007, really as the continuation of work that Anne and Christopher Ellinger have been doing in various ways for you know 30 years, from the early kind of Haymarket wealth conferences and threshold gatherings and momentum to founding More Than Money as a magazine they ran for 13 yep. years, publishing quarterly issues, and they wrote the book We Gave Away a Fortune, um, really inspired by their own experience when Christopher unexpectedly inherited money when they were in their early, late 20s. Um, uh-huh. And, you know, they went on from writing that book to do more than money, all the other organizing, and came back to this question that they had grappled with and we gave away a fortune of, you know, how much is enough? And really feeling like the the personal stories that they discovered in their own exploration of trying to figure it out that became that book were still the most transformative piece they'd found in helping them think about what was possible. Uh-huh. Um, so they founded Boulder Giving really with the intention of collecting and sharing more of these stories of people who are making different decisions about how much to give and also how to give to, for uh-huh. social change. Um, mm-hmm. So that is the root of our work. And I came to Boulder Giving in 2008 as a donor trying to figure out for myself how much to give. And uh-huh. loving the work so much, joined the board, became board chair. And then in 2010, we got a phone call from out of the blue from the Gates Foundation saying, we really love your work. We'd like to help you go to scale. Can you meet with us in D.C. next Tuesday? Um, I thought it was a prank call. Yeah. But <laughs> it was not. And we said yes, because when the Gates Foundation calls and says that, you say yes, and down we went. Yes. And at that meeting, we learned, they told us about the giving pledge that they were preparing to launch um, in two months, and that the stories we collected were one of the things that inspired Bill and Melinda Gates to launch the giving pledge in the first place, wow. um, which is kind of amazing. And mm-hmm. as they were preparing to launch it, to try to reach other billionaires and get them to commit the majority of their wealth to charity, they wanted to help us scale up to reach everybody else. Um, wow. So they made a three-year challenge grant, and it was very, very fast. You know, from meeting to from meeting to check was five and a half weeks. Um, and yeah, and about halfway through that process, because they wanted to make the grant before they announced the launch of the giving pledge, so they could talk about the grant as part of it. Uh-huh. Um, and Anne and Christopher were actually looking at retiring, and so. Now it was going to be a clearly a full-time role, and I said, as a full-time role, I'd be interested. And they said, great, and the board said, great. Ten days later, I was the first full-time ED. Um, and we've, you know, scaled up considerably. And today, you know, the storytelling remains the, the core. We now have almost 100 and story, 170 stories that we've posted, mm-hmm. um, you know, five-person team. And the work today is really... Collecting these stories, getting them out there. So, and the getting them out there means, you know, the monthly bold conversations we do mm-hmm. between 40 and 50 workshops and speeches and seminars around the country, mostly with private banks, wealth management firms, donor networks, community foundations. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, I, I see Boulder Giving's unique role as being the the education and inspiration. So we don't do, we don't manage donor advised funds. We are not philanthropic mm-hmm. advisors in the sense of you can't hire Boulder Giving to help you manage your giving. Right. We're not a donor community like the Women Donors Network. Instead, we really work with, with the donor advised fund providers, with the philanthropic and wealth advisors, with the donor networks to 
inspire, be you know, provocative and educational and inspirational for their members. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's so interesting. Uh, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I'm I'm actually fascinated about this. I'm I'm, I'm just this is a stream of conscious. I'm actually wondering if we should have a long a serious longer conversation because <laughs> I was, what all you're telling me all this one of I was thinking I should share with you my my own learning edge right now is um I I had this experience of um end of last year I think it was maybe earlier this year um John Powell wanted me to talk with um, a friend of his who um, was just sort of getting into philanthropy. And um, so I see her give her some advice or whatever. And and she had wanted to have him give her the money away. <laughs> He's like, that's not my job. <laughs> um, and, but that kind of, you know, that kind of validation from John made me actually start to realize that I have, in fact, learned a lot about giving in the space of racial equity. And the way that I've actually always approached my um, organizing work is not to say support the groups that I support, but really to say how do you incorporate this perspective into the work that you do? Mm-hmm. You know, so, so that I'm not actually trying to move. My, my, my agenda is, is a lens, not um, a group. <laughs> Um, you know, so I'm not trying to fundraise somebody. I'm trying to help them analyze a little differently. Yep. And, um, and you know, like just this week, like I shouldn't be talking to you so long, because I just, just this week I got a, um, a request for a proposal to work with um, the Women's Funding Network um, about how they might incorpor- incorporate a racial equity lens within their organization better. You know, and my whole approach to this is, you know, that we really use it, it's the Women Donors Networks is to try to generate ideas from the network itself so that we're actually, it's basically an organizing strategy, right, where you get people to take the lead to, to engage with issues around race, but that they actually figure out what strategies work given their constraints, right, because everyone mm-hmm. has them. Um, but that, it doesn't mean you don't do it. And you don't adopt self-awareness as your mode. <laughs> um, yeah. So it would be really interesting to talk with you, I think, about, um, you know, have a, another conversation about um, how we could uh, support those efforts. I feel like they're pretty aligned, right? Because you're trying to actually get people to think bigger and broader about what they can do. Yeah. I would, um, I and would, in a non-constrained kind of way, right? It's just, but, but do it. <laughs> so. Exactly. Well, and I, yeah, we should definitely follow up. I mean, we're, I mean, we, ha- our board has said, even though you won't find it anywhere on our site, because we very deliberately try to be, use language that is more broadly appealing internally, mm-hmm. our board, you know, has voted, you know, with our, you know, at my suggestion and with the staff buy-in, that we are a progressive organization committed to racial, social, economic, and environmental yeah. justice. And that is yeah. the, the motivating kind of set of values behind the inspiration. Um, but we're actually, and just as we're talking, and Babby and I were like writing to each other saying, we should, I'd love to talk at some point about, we've been doing this um, program for the last, well, it was in two cycles so far, 
that we're calling a jumpstart series. It's basically to bring uh-huh. together a small group of you know, no more than 10 people who are trying to, for a series of three or four conversations over two or three months. By On the phone. telephone, yeah. Yeah, just phone call, mm-hmm. teleconference. Yep. To explore one particular question or challenge. We did the first one around environmental justice, which was mm-hmm. good but a little clunky. We did the mm-hmm. second one around the fears that get in the way of your giving, and that was mm-hmm. amazing. We had eight people and really vulnerable and deep sharing, and I think people got a lot from it. And as we're mm-hmm. talking, just thinking, like, it would be great to do a, a kind of racial equity, racial justice giving, you know, how do you approach it, what gets in the way, what could it look like? And yep. I don't quite have the language to frame it off the top of my head, but we had such mm-hmm. amazing turnout from that conversation that you yeah. and um, Kathy did. I think it would be a really interesting possibility. And then I'm also just starting talking with a group of community foundations that are exploring and I think going to be getting a grant to talk so that they can talk with each other about how do they better fund racial justice and racial equity I think there's a, a real um, blooming of interest <laughs> to yeah. say. I think, you know, I think the connection between the political power and, and the use of race is, is actually, you know, maybe Ian Haney Lopez's work is really I don't know, somehow these connections are really coming together right now. Um, but people really need support, right? And, I mean, you know, I would say, for example, that every one of our progressive organizations needs to understand race a whole much better than we do, and it has to actually get to the point of operationalizing it, right? But but there's a need to actually push everybody's um, ability um, to think about what the implications are and to um, make sort of make this whole chain of connections, you know, that link race and democracy and economy together, um, and try to you know impact how we do our grant making. Because I, you know, even though so much of grant making is no longer service oriented, it ends up being service oriented in a sense in the way that it's done. Um, so. But you know, people need to figure that out and and know that they can figure it out if they you know can figure out how to ask themselves good questions. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that we have the capacity to do that, um, and we might not be able to do it alone, but together we really can figure the next steps. You know, and if it's the wrong, the wrong step, to learn from it and try again, right? I mean, um, anyway, so yeah, very exciting. So we should definitely yeah, let's make sure to do that. And- um, yeah. And I should I should also tell you, <laughs> so in the, in the context of all of this, so here's what we're doing and here's where we're headed, and um, yeah. we're also going to be announcing um, probably or in next week or the following that I have actually just accepted a new um, position myself. <laughs> <laughs> so after you know, five years being here with Boulder Giving, uh, yeah. the Kellogg Foundation has endowed the first chair in community philanthropy, and so I will be moving to Michigan in July to take on wow. that new wow. um, That's we'll exciting. Launching. It's very exciting, and I'm I'm looking forward to it, and of course, still in the same space, and um, and we're going to be launching a search for a new director here at yep. Boulder Giving, um, and so I would love to keep talking to you 
in my new yeah. role, and I know we'd love to talk with you about yeah. stuff with older giving. Um, and I think yeah. the jumpstart piece in particular could be moving forward. You know, it doesn't have to wait. We're not stopping our work while the EV transition happens. So Right, right, right. Yeah, I just think it's so important because I get so perturbed when I read the articles about philanthropy in our local paper. You know, that's like the support the puppies. You know, like, oh my god, yeah. really? <laughs> <laughs> but that's kind of my my kick in the pants of trying to figure out how to actually be out there more to um, actually suggest that there's something more that you can do. You know, not that we shouldn't save the puppies, but you know, if families could support their puppies, there wouldn't be so many puppies on the street. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, well, it was so good to talk. I'm so I'm really excited about this. Um, um, we'll shoot an email to follow up around more time to talk about you know work stuff yeah. and how we maybe work yeah. together. And, that sounds great. Um, That's great. That we'll be working in the next like week or two to get a first draft of your story too, which will be fun. And just so you know, I'm going to be um, out of pocket most of next week because we're on spring break and going camping. So. Good for you. Where are you going? Uh, Joshua Tree. Oh, nice. Yeah, never never been to the desert myself. So. Oh, kind of fun. wonderful. Yeah. Uh, anything big coming up in your life besides a wonderful week of camping that, that you want to share? What's next in Connie's horizon? Mm. I can't really think of anything. Okay. <laughs> My brain petered out, actually. <laughs> That's all right. You gave us, we didn't intend to take up so much time, but it just was too too interesting, and we were so happy That's to good. have so much of your your time. So That's thank good. you. My pleasure. And yeah, thank you guys both. Anything that comes to mind, just, you know, shoot shoot emails anytime. Happy to get them. And, yes. And all right. All right. Thank you so much. We look forward to continuing thank you. the conversation. Great talking, yes. Connie. Great. Thank you. Have a great week. Yes, you too. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye.